0: Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Originals is the title of the series, and if you're taking notes, uh, you can go into our app and, and go into the content portion of our app. There's some filling in the blanks there if you want to be a part of it. And I want to talk today about original love. Original love. We started this series called Originals uh, last week, and we're looking at some old and new beginnings. And what we're doing is we're looking at old beginnings in the the Old Testament, and then uh, some of the problems, some of the challenges, some of the things that, that ensued from those beginnings. And then we're looking at the contrasting beginning in the New Testament and some of the answers for the issues that we uh, see begin in the Old Testament. And we've been learning uh, since last week from this uh, passage in early in, in, the, in Genesis. And we talked about uh, the original sin last week. And today I want to continue this series and go a little bit further into this inner conflict that we all face, this problem that we all uh, deal with. Now, I don't know if you thought about this lately. I don't know if you have had time to pause. Something we, Sometimes we don't think about this, but did you know that not everyone succeeds in their relationship with God? Not everybody succeeds in, in engaging with God in a transformative way, in a way that actually changes their life. And the reason being, I think, is, is, is because, you know, we don't think much about this. We, 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 we tend to, especially if you're a Christian, if you're already on this journey, you, we tend to think about God's grace. We think to, tend to think about God's love and His goodness, and we profess it. And sometimes we, we profess it to the point that we make people believe that this life is just a plug-and-play life. That you could just walk in, do the thing, and get what you need. You do the deed and you get what you're praying for. And you don't have to worry about anything. It's like, like, like it's a foolproof way to have your problems automatically solved. But many people fail at connecting to God in a transformative way because of that. And I believe it's because we have lost our original love. In many ways, I believe it's because we, we, we fail to understand. That we were made from love to love. There's a purpose for the way we were made. Now if you've been in the space where you've been feeling this tension in your relationship with God. Where you feel like you plateaued or you feel like you need a little bit more uh, um, energy. Or you need, you need something to break through this glass ceiling. Because things are not going well. I want to encourage you today, especially you today. To lean in and glean from this message without any judgment. Because I believe um, today is a day of transformation. It's a day of change. Now if you know from Genesis, we talked about Adam and Eve last week. And you know that Adam and Eve had children. And the first two children they had was Cain and Abel. And I want to share the story of Cain and Abel with you today. Uh, you might have already heard this story. You might be familiar with the story, but there's so many layers to this story, and I believe we're gonna we're gonna get some some direction and some lessons from this story. So I'm gonna read the whole thing. Uh, just just bear with me. It's about 12 verses. It, it sounds long, but for, for what it packs in, I mean, we could, we could preach a whole year into this, this scripture. There's so much there. So uh, we're going to go to Genesis 4 verses 1 through 12 from the ESV version. You can follow on the screens. Now, Adam and Eve, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel also brought brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8 says, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Where Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Like I said, it's... It's a tremendous, powerful scripture. And and there's a lot here. A lot of firsts in in this passage too. A lot of originals. Cain was the first son recorded in the scripture. The firstborn. Abel was the first sibling recorded in the scripture. The first brother. And their offering is the first time an offering of this kind is mentioned in the scripture. First time. Now, there's another first that's pretty daunting. It's the first death in the Bible. And the first death in the Bible is not of natural causes. It's by murder. But not even a stranger murdering a stranger. It gets even more shocking because it's a brother killing a brother. And and that should make us pay attention. And that's why I want to pause here for a moment because I, know, I don't know how many times you've read this scripture. I don't know how many times you've heard this story. And if you, like me, grew up reading this scripture from childhood, you may be tempted to move on and think, I already know what's happening here. But I want to encourage you to kind of take a breather, pause, and for a moment, notice what this story teaches us because at first glance, we might think that the story is about an offering to God. And it's part of the context. It's there. The first time something like this is mentioned is in this scripture. But it's written as though it's a regular practice. In the course of time, it can enable, came and made an offering to the Lord. It's, it's what they do. They were there and they came and brought an offering to God. It gives you the idea that both should know how to make an offering to God. That both had the capacity to do it and somehow Cain was compromising. Something about Cain wasn't right. And so God admonishes Cain and says, Cain, why are you angry? As almost as though as God is correcting Cain as if the solution to his anger and the solution to his disappointment, it's common knowledge. It's common practice. You should know this. Why are you angry and sad? You should know this. You know how to fix this. Just do better, right? Do better and you will be accepted. In other words, there is a mark. There is a goal. There is a, there's an aim that you should have. There's a way that you should conduct yourself. There's a way that you should present yourself to God. And Cain, you are living beneath that mark. You are are living below that standard. So do what you know you should do, and the problem will be solved. That's it. But then came a warning. Cain, you are in dangerous territory because sin is crouching at the door. And this is a very interesting term that God uses because not only does God personify sin, the sin, paints a picture of sin being a creature, but he uses the term crouching which means that sin is crouching like an animal at the door. And it gives a picture of sin being like a beast trying to get in to Cain's life through the door of his heart. And God gives Cain a job. He says, Cain, you must rule over it. It is your job to not be subdued by it, but to subdue it. It's important that you rule over it. Now here's a question for you from the story. What does that have to do with Abel? Up until now, everything that got addressed had nothing to do with Abel. Abel was out there shepherding his sheep. Cain made an offering to the Lord. The Lord approved his offering. He goes back to living. For some reason, Cain makes Abel the subject of his anger. For some reason, Cain looks at his brother. But none of Cain's problems so far had to do with Abel. It was his offering that God turned away from. It was his anger and countenance that God addresses. It was his sin that God tells him to watch out for. Why did Cain kill his brother? Why did he turn, did he turn against Abel? Unless unless the reason God turned away from Cain was because Cain didn't really care whether he pleased God, so long as he was better than his brother. We assume that Cain cared about what God thought of him, but the evidence is not there. In fact, the evidence suggests that Cain cared more about being better than his younger brother than pleasing God. Perhaps the issue here, the sin that God says was crouching at the door is closer to you and I than we think. Perhaps the problem eating away at Cain was not a lack of piousness. It was not a lack of worship. It was not a lack of of, uh, uh, Cain seeing value in coming to church and raising his hands and dancing during worship. Praying out loud at home. That's the equivalent to our worship. Right? Perhaps it was not a substandard devotion to God. Perhaps what bothered Cain was not that God turned away from him, but it was that God turned to his brother. And some of you, you've experienced this in your life. You know this. I I probably could say that 99.9% of you know this because there's a baby in the room. And the baby doesn't know this yet. But you've had experiences in your life where you experienced a peak, a high. God is blessing you. He's opened the windows of heaven and you are experiencing promotion in your career. You feel like you're healed. You you've gotten over a bad toxic relationship. You're stepping into the next season in your life. God is blessing you. You're you're promoted. You got your degree. You're getting advancements. Things are happening. You got a house, maybe a car, something that displayed that your your life is going well and you're joyful. And but you hear that voice. Mm, must be nice. People surrounding you, looking at you and going like, hmm, why him? Why her? Instead of support, you get judgment. Instead of applause, you get rejection. Instead of love, you get jealousy. This is what's displayed here. Perhaps Cain's real problem was envy. It was in his heart. Could it be that that was the root of his transgression? And if so, what does it teach us? What does it teach you and me? See, I believe God created us to be part of one another. I learned that from the scriptures. We can see that in the scriptures. That God created us to love one another. That's our makeup. He created us to complement one another. And some people miss this. And they miss having a thriving relationship with God because of this very problem. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, every time you see the word commandment in the Bible... It means this, it's your part. That's your part. Commandment is not just God saying, hey, I kind of need you to do this. Because I'm God and you're not and I want you to do this. No, commandment is like God saying, hey, this is the part that you have to do and I can't do for you. Because if I do this for you, you lose your personhood. You lose your individuality. You lose your agency. I can't make you love. So I command you to love. Because that's how I made you. And this should be a challenge for us today. If your relationship with God is about your problems only, if your prayers are about your past, your present, your future only. If, if you have such little regard for the people in your life that they are not part of your relationship with God, they are not part of your prayers, you're not mindful of them, your relationship with God will never flourish. And this is why so many people fail to have a thriving connection to God. Because God is about people. That's why their faith fails. That's why their spiritual life fails. Because they never mature beyond themselves. Now listen to the words of Jesus when he is explaining. This is a long passage I'm going to read you. But he's explaining what matters when all is said and done. When we get to the end of our lives, we we heard stories, of beds, bed, uh, 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 stories when people are in their in their, a point of death, in their deathbed, and that's when people take inventory of their lives and and they kind of have this awakening of what truly matters, and this is Jesus telling us the story of what will happen in the final judgment when God takes the, the, the judgment seat and we meet Him. When all is, all is said and done, Jesus paints this picture for us. When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from another. One people from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a, and give you a drink? And when did we see you uh, see you a stranger and welcome you and, or naked and clothe you? And when did we s- see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, "Truly, I say to you, as you did as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me." Now then there's the other side. He turns to the ones on his left and he says, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do, to the one or of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It is a daunting picture, and I wanted to read the whole thing to you because I want you to realize today, I want your eyes to be open today, what you do matters to God, but also what you don't do matters to God. It's not just about what you do. It's about what you fail to do. And this life is in our hands. We need to understand this, for especially those of us who have decided to follow the way of Christ. Some of you are still deciding, and I hope this message compels you, to join the way of Christ. But for those of you who have decided, and you call yourself a Christian, A follower of Jesus, no matter your religious background. You have to understand, we have to understand, that loving your neighbor is not a side job. It's not the optional thing. It's not the fries that comes with the burger. It's not a condiment. Loving your neighbor is part of our walk with Jesus, This is a compelling picture that Jesus paints of what matters to God when all is said and done. And if, it, if this is what matters when it's all said and done, if it matters then, it matters now. When, when we're in it. Friends, you can't love God and hate people. You can't. Jesus is saying that God receives our love when we love the least of these. He receives our love and He receives our care. It's as though you were loving God Himself when we love others. When we embrace instead of condemn. When we forgive instead of resent. When we supply someone's need with our resources instead of hoarding our resources and consuming it all to ourselves. See, you can't have zeal for God's house. You can't have zeal for God's cause. You can't have zeal for God's law and enjoy the idea of somebody else out there perishing. Those two don't go together. And I've met many a people in my life who showed me an unbothered demeanor about people perishing. As long as they are proven right. Like the work, the, the, their walk with God is about being proven right. Right. There's a little bit of a, a little bit of a satisfaction in their knees going like, oh, you're gonna burn one day. I say it in in, in, in a in a it, it's not I'm not saying it in a tongue-in-cheek way, I'm saying it like there's that, that sense that you don't say it, but in deep inside, oh you're gonna you're gonna see it. You're gonna see that I'm right. It's not a rare thing. Why is that? I believe it's because we've been disconnected from this original love. We can't source it. See, what we call love is, is our need to satisfy our own desires, to satisfy this, this desire that we have to be accepted, to, 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 to be embraced. And so we we exchange charisma. We exchange niceties. Because we all have this need and, and the way for you to receive it is if you supply it. But that's not the original love of God. The original love of God comes from Him. And it's the only thing that can change our hearts and fix the issues in our world today. See, a great example of this is the author of most of the books in the New Testament. You know, the, bo- the, the, the books of the Bible were written by people. They were inspired by God, but they were written by people. And and you might think that all these people were perfect because they wrote the Bible. But first of all, they were not writing the Bible when they were writing it. They weren't thinking like, I'm going to write the Bible today. No, they were writing to others. They were recording history. And specifically in the New Testament, there's this person that wrote most of it. Some of you know, it's, it's the revered St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was actually a zealous murderer in the name of God. He was a, he was, he was a killer. He was on a mission to arrest and kill Jesus' disciples. And he thought that that was God's work. He thought he was doing God's work. He thought God wanted him to do that. He was a well-educated edu- well scholar, a protector of the law. And he, he was headed to Damascus from Israel, determined to bring these Christian rebels, this, these followers of this new way to justice, because they were standing against the law of Moses. And on his way from Jerusalem, he, he got near the village, this village of Damascus, and something powerful happened. We're going to read the story, Acts 9 verses 1 through 9. But Saul that was the Apostle Paul's name uh, before he met Jesus. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that they that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he may might bring them to bound, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Temporary blindness is what happened to him. Now I see a strong connection between the story of Saul and the story of Cain and Abel. Because in both instances you see God interrupting someone who's on a mission to rise against somebody else. Both instances, God is warning them and saying, Hey, you're going the wrong way. Don't do this. This is not what I called you to do. And here's how these two stories connect to you and me. How these two stories connect to this idea of the original love. Because on one side, you have Cain. And I'm convinced that the story of Cain is more about Cain's envy to his brother than it is about his offering to God. That was the issue. And if you have the spirit of Cain, if you have that Cain and Abel tension on the inside, you will understand this quickly, that you're either going to live at odds with God and the world, like Cain did, or you're going to have to deal with the Cain within. We're gonna have to, you're going to have to deal with that tension. See, Cain didn't rule over the sin that was at the door of his heart. He didn't do what God called him to do. And that turned his world against him. It turned his world upside down. You see, he was a farmer, he needed the ground to yield its fruit. And God said, because of your sin, even the ground will reject you. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Crippled by your past, crippled by your mistakes, crippled by your sin in such a way that you feel like the ground even is cursed. That there's nothing that you can do. It's almost like everything you touch, everything you do is somehow damaged because of your past. Sometimes we go through seasons like that where we feel like, man, I feel like everything now in my life is tainted because of this thing that I did. And I thought I was doing the right thing. But then I realized, man, I, I was wrong. How can you move on from that? Well, in comes Saul. Because on the other hand, we have Saul's story a self righteous man who was so self righteous he was blinded to the truth. He thought he was doing the right thing, he thought he was honoring God by ending people's lives who seemed to him to be rebels. It's almost as though God was saying, hey, you've been blinded all along. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to blind you for real so that you can see the error of your ways. I'm going to blind you so you can see. See, this is what God does sometimes. That's amazing. When we welcome the work of Jesus in our lives, He works and He uses the very thing that's crippling us to heal us. He can do that. And Paul was blinded, but but God used the blindness of his heart to heal his ways. Friends, you have to know today that we all miss the mark at some point in our lives. We all go through seasons and days where we just miss the mark. We just come up short. We cross boundaries we shouldn't have crossed. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We miss the mark. We miss the point. We think we understood, but we didn't really. Last week, I gave you the solution for the problem of sin, which is to pursue, to love, to desire the will of God for your life. And today, I want to help you understand that the rest of your problems that you're facing will be solved if you live to love one another. If you embrace God's original love, and you might be asking, J.D., that sounds like planting flowers with Jesus. How can love one another solve my problem? I'm trying to start a business. I'm trying to figure out the next step in my career. I'm trying to figure out what to do, what. What, what major to pursue in school. I'm trying to figure out how to repair my relationship with my husband and my wife or my wife. I'm trying to figure out what what to do next. Like, I want a relationship with my son. Like, I want to I wanna, wanna figure out how, how to f- f- get my retirement thing straightened up. I, I need to move. How is this going to fix anything? Well, you we have to think about In a holistic way because the business idea that you're searching or the success that you're searching in your career will come as you love others. Because everything that we do is for other people, whether you sell a service or a product or you provide something, you do it for people, for the betterment of their lives. And if you stop focusing on the ways of the world, trying to get ahead, trying to, 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 to seek money and success and fame, and you turn your focus to how can I solve people's problems? How can I find a solution for people? How can I love people better? You will see your career in your office, in your division, at your job, in the business you're trying to start. The, the, the answers will come. If the problem is, is a marital problem, something that you're trying to, to get, get past in this season of, of desert, in this, in, this, in this season of difficulty, the answer is love. To love your spouse through this, this moment. When you, when, you, when you go granular and you go to the, the, the source of it, the answer is love. You feel stuck. You don't see the future. You don't know what the next step is. Well, find somebody to love. So find somebody to help. Find a, a person that you can be a light to. And all of a sudden, you will see your countenance change. Because God is using you to bless somebody else. You might think, oh, I don't, I don't have a purpose. I feel like my life is going in circles. And I'm doing the same thing every day. I need a purpose. Find a cause. Find somebody that bo- something that bothers you. Something that, that ticks you off. That you feel like needs to be fixed. And then work from love. To help others in in that situation. Yes, God wants you to uh, solve your problems. Yes, He wants you to reach your dreams. Of course, God wants you to live uh, up to the calling and the dreams that He placed in your heart. The things that He's calling you to do. Yes, He wants to bless you with vision. Yes, He wants to increase your life. But make no mistake, this walk is not about you. This walk is not about me. It's about others. For as long as it remains about us, we will lack growth. For as long as it remains about you, you will feel like you are apart from God. For as long as it remains about you, Christ will not be the center. The story of Paul continues. Chapter 9, verses 13 and 16 tells us that God spoke to this man called Ananias he was a he was a Christian connected to the disciples and Ananias was surprised to know that Saul was the man that God wanted him to minister to and so Ananias answered to God after he received the word he said the Lord I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind us, to bind all who can on your name. But the Lord said to him, I want you to notice, like, he was coming in the name of God. So imagine being in Ananias' shoes. Like, this could, be all, this could all be a ruse, it could be faking it so he could get to us. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ooh, Friends, we are called to be instruments of God to carry his name. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what circumstances you've faced. I don't know what is the voice on your ear telling you that you can't because of your past, because of your regrets, because of the things you've done. But I want you to know that if, if God can use a proud, arrogant man who was arresting and taking people captive so they could be killed in the name of God, like Saul, who later became Paul. He can use you. He can use you to love people, to change people's lives. And I want to I encourage you today because in this day and age, our call to love one another, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some suffering. Because we live in an age where too many people are too politically minded to be open-minded to the love of God. Too many people are lost in their feelings to care about loving others. Too many people have the spirit of Cain in them, the spirit of envy. And I'm entirely okay to see others suffer as long as it proves them right. As long as it elevates their status. Let me tell you, let that not be us. Let that not be you. Let that not be those of you watching online. Let us be the generation that loves the generation that connects to that original love of God and sees the answer for this, the problems, the situations that we're facing as the love of God. We see tension and wars in the world today. We see situations that we want the answer for. And sometimes, you know, it's difficult to try to, to understand because things around the world, like we, we don't know what it is like to live in Ukraine. We don't know what it is like to live in Israel. We, we, have, we have enjoyed a time of peace. And it's difficult for us to try to understand. But I want you to know that when Jesus lived on this earth, the same tension that they are facing today, they faced in those days. There weren't rockets, but there was was animosity. There was hate. There was trouble. And Jesus could have come with a geopolitical solution, geopolitical solution, and he could have become king. That's what his followers actually wanted. For him to be a political leader, to be a military leader, To lead people into fights and and conquer the world that way like Alexander the Great did before Christ. But that's not, that wasn't the message of Jesus. He said, my kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. And instead of trying to fix the world with world solutions, Jesus came with the kingdom of God to fix our problems from up on high. So if you're trying to find a way to sanitize the world by, with strategies from the world, good luck. It's not going to work. Because Christ Himself came with a singular message. Love God and love your neighbor as yourselves. And if you do these two things, you fulfill the whole law. So I want to encourage you today to pursue that. Pursue loving one another and just watch how your life will be transformed. Watch how the weights of unforgiveness and strife will lift off of you. The issues that resentment and bitterness can cause, not only mentally but physically, will be lifted. And you will have a purpose to to see people who are suffering, to see the least of these and become the solution to their lives. And in it, your life will count. You will have a life of purpose. You will have a life of meaning. And you will have a life that in the last day, you will be at the the present before God. And He will say, welcome into my kingdom. Enjoy the life that has been prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. Because when I was sad, you saw me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was uh, in prison, you came and you saw me. And when I was sick, you visited me. That's what we are called to do. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.